Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. On 1116 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. Breaks the wing, makes you kick the half board right, behind yeah. the Marshall took it. He stood his ground staunchly and they Break come in hard. Hit. He was cleaned up, tackled immediately as has been the oh, case brilliant. tonight. Brilliant hands, Petrarca sets up McDonald. He's got some tricks, Tommy. A little spin and then he runs into the open space and drills Melbourne's second goal in 30 seconds. Just nudged him to get him where he wanted to and the back up from Pittard, the pressure. Oh, oh, oh they left it opening. Petrarca scores. This extraordinary football from Melbourne, as good as I've seen this year, tough in the contest, fierce pressure. They need a goal, a goalless opening turn until after the siren. Oh, I need a vote. Ebert kicks it from 40 and listen to the reaction. Wines hands it off to Motlop. Two bounces through centre half forward. Time to think. He pokes it and for both. Outstanding kick. So both to convert. Do it justice. He has. Handball now to McDonald. He can give it off. Back to Melksham. Ran on. Had a right foot stab and goal. That is team lifting stuff. Melbourne are tearing this place apart early in the third. Huge moment in this game. Lindsay Thomas. Good. Right. The Port Faithful rises one. Get around him, Tommy. And we are back to within a kick. It's spine-tingling stuff. Now the crowd will tell the story. We'll let them let you know whether or not Sam Gray kicks this to put Port in front for the first time since early in the game. Get around him. Have a listen to that. Is there any better sound in the game? The home crowd are alight. Fleury bombs it, looking for a mark. Westhoff, either a mark or a free kick. And now a 50. Yeah. And, and Justin Westhoff now, stuttering run-up, comes in. Oh, no. Way, and he has delivered. Oh, they were powerful and mighty tonight, Port Adelaide. Melbourne were in front for so much of the night, but when the siren sounded, you couldn't even hear it because the Port fans are on their feet. And they're screaming and yelling. We got a Friday night footy belter. What a beauty it was. It shows a fair bit of growth, I reckon, because we've, we've lost games like that just in the last 12 months, haven't we, in big games where we've dominated entry and, and haven't been able to put the score on the board. So sometimes you just got to find a way to take your chances. And I thought tonight you know, we found that way to, to keep in the game. Credit to the boys. Intense and ferocious. Port Adelaide prevails to set up its shot at the top. Key recruit Tom Rockliffe joins us. I thought our performance was strong. I thought it was two teams that uh, knew the way each other played and they went at it for four quarters. Yeah, we're a behaviours-based club and I thought our behaviours tonight were outstanding. Play a game with small margins. That game could have gone either way. Clearly they'll be disappointed with the result. The result is we lost, but the way they played and the behaviours they're instilling in the, in the way they play were, were really strong on the night. Melbourne loses few admirers this time, but come away empty-handed on the big stage again. Simon Goodwin is our headline guest. We're going to play disrespectfully, aggressively, dismissively, or indeed forcefully, intentionally touches an umpire. We had a very strong 
an exceptional field of candidates and Gary was the absolute standout. The four years that I signed had nothing to do with taking over the captaincy or anything. Uh, if that comes down the track, I'll be one of the proudest moments of my life. Personally, I thought the rules were, were, were really good. I, I enjoyed playing in that style of game. It was a lot more open, certainly around stoppages. Really happy to be here for the next five years, kind of really grown to love the club. Really keen to see what the future holds here, so obviously exciting times. Key signings, touchy debates and rule trials causing angst. It's all in the crunch, along with Suns Chief Executive Mark Evans on what the future holds. It's another massive edition of Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. Jared Wackley and Anthony Hudson with you this Saturday morning after an absorbing night of footy and one with ramifications. Port Adelaide so well set, Melbourne come away empty-handed. Kane Corns was there. He's now here. Hello, Kane. Uh, it was the best game I've seen. Welcome. Uh, thanks, Jared, and thanks for having me this morning. It just finals like right from the start, the pressure, the intensity, the tackling. 187 tackles between those sides last night, as good a physical display as I've seen. And I loved it when the game opened up in the second half and uh, Port Adelaide hung hang on uh, against the odds when you look at the numbers that were against him and against them. Bob Murphy's in place in Launceston. Hello, Bob. Hello, Jared. Hello, Kane. Hello, nice Bob. to talk to you. Uh, beautiful down here. Crisp, crisp morning down here in Tassie. Uh, hopefully we get a hopefully we get a good game. Looks a little bit lopsided on paper, but hopefully Gold Coast can serve it up to Hawthorne today. What did you get out of last night? Uh, it was a fascinating game, and I, I really um, support Kane's Kane's words a moment earlier about the physicality and the finals like atmosphere. The first half to me seemed like um, it seemed like two teenage two teenage boys sort of pushing and shoving, neither really sure what side they are yet. I think in the second half, particularly the second half of that third quarter, Port Adelaide, I think, uh, grew into grew into men. Um, that was a pretty, pretty impressive performance by then. Melbourne, still a question mark. So Port goes to fourth, Kane. This can change with Collingwood, who suddenly are playing for a top support, for, uh, four spot tomorrow at the MCG. But they're fourth. This was the tipping point game for me. They enter a stunningly good run, which gives them an opportunity, I think, to storm the top two. Uh, I think you're spot on. I heard you say this a week ago, Jared. I wasn't sure. I wasn't convinced about Port Adelaide yesterday, and uh, at halftime, still not convinced. I thought Melbourne dominated the stoppages in the contested footy, but that response gave me a lot of belief. So when you look at their next three, Carlton at the MCG, St Kilda at home, then Fremantle, they have five games at home to finish the year. It's hard to see how they don't make the top two from here. We know how vital that is when you think of uh, West Coast and Sydney in the mix for the top four. So they are as good a place as any side right now in the competition. What have they done to, I guess, rectify and address some of the questions that have sat over them for probably a couple of years? I questioned their midfield. I thought they were too similar in the midfield. So when you look at Rockcliffe, Power Pepper, Boak, Ebert, Wines, they're the same type of player for me. So Ken's move to put Wingard through the midfield in the last three weeks has been really important. I've loved the fact that he's pretty much left Robbie Gray as a forward. And then they've had a response from some players that were out of form. So we're going to speak to Tom Rockliffe. His last month has been strong. Uh, Dixon has not quite hit his best footy from last year, but has improved. 
Wright has been important. Uh, and then their young back line, which we'll talk about. Uh, the no-names back there, Dougal Howard, Cleary, Bonner, Pittard, Jonas, are holding up magnificently well. Do you think there are moments, Bob, when you grow into the idea of being a top side? No doubt. No doubt. And I, I think... I think Port Adelaide would have had, you know, they would have questioned themselves at various points, and and that's what I that's I was I was being mildly facetious in in what I said earlier about there were like two teenage two teenagers sort of pushing and shoving, and there was a lot of sort of faux sort of um, macho sort of mm. stuff around the ball, a lot of pushing and shoving, but neither really sure of of where they sit. I think as as footy teams, both sort of knocking on the door of that of that top echelon. But I think by the end of the game, you could see in the reactions from the Port players after the win that it was a big step forward for them. And just to take up Kane on on his on his analysis of Port Adelaide, it, the thing that's the thing that's most impressive for me is that is that backline. And you describe them as a no name mm. backline, Kane. And I think that's I think that's exactly what they are. To to so many football football uh, followers, um, they defended 68 inside 50s last night, and they they did it with aplomb. They've they've got really nice balance of of key key big boys who, who help each other in the air, and Howard and Houston and Jonas. But the, it's the the inclusion I think of Riley Bonner, who's burst onto the scene this year. But but to complement him, Jasper Pittard's finding some form again as well. So I I just think as a balanced footy side at the moment, they look really good, Port Adelaide. Yep, I agree with that. And uh, look, I think just Ollie Wines as well, his leadership over the last three weeks, his numbers are extraordinary. When you look at them, I think 31 disposals, plenty of inside 50s, tackles, clearances. He responded last night. Uh, clearance differential was, was pretty significant at halftime. He responded. And, and one player, their most experienced player, Justin Westhoff, is having an extremely good year. He's about to turn 31. That was a great 12-possession game for Justin Westhoff uh, last night. I got um, a shock when I saw that yeah. in the stats sheet because I thought he had a huge influence. Three big contested marks. And it's just been so important for them. He's such a selfless player. I mean... Uh, I heard uh, it might have been Gary Lyon say that uh, Jack Rewalt's the most selfless player in the game. I'd argue Justin Westhoff is in the top three because he just plays wherever he's told, does not complain if it's behind the ball, if it's forward, if it's on the wing. If he has to go in the ruck, he'll do that. And he's been doing it for years. So um, still underrated, but I think it's going to move to top three in Port Adelaide's all-time games record this year and, and doesn't look like slowing down. Just on the belief, Jared, that I, I, I'm left the next day... My mind keeps drifting to that in the last couple of minutes where, you know, perhaps the game was already done and dusted, but the the four contested marks as they moved around the boundary line, that was a sight, that's that's such a great sign of maturity, and that was a real finals-like pressure, and they were four contested marks, two of them by Ollie Wines, which was extraordinary. He started it and then finished it, but it was Charlie Dixon, I can't remember who the other one was, but Paddy Ryder, I mean... I think as a Port Adelaide supporter, that would have that would have thrilled you as much as the overall result. Of that's that's when all the chips are on the table and you just need to snuff out the opposition. Four huge marks to a plan. That's that that gives sides real belief. I think. So how disappointed should Melbourne be? They they twice had the shape of the game the way that they wanted it, and they opened up twenty point plus leads the first quarter, and then tellingly in the third quarter they got wound back. They went goalless in the last quarter. It was an interesting. I thought the dynamic around the game on television sometimes it's different to the ground. Is there was a level of exhaustion that set in with about eleven minutes to go, which I actually think is quite rare in a game. They were gassed. I felt that as well, and you could you could see that. I think they were. 
unlucky. Now, it's, a, it's a, not a great word to use in footy terms, but Tom McDonald went off at a pivotal moment. They had Neville Jetta who went off, had to get some treatment. There was a couple of other players under the weather as well, and it was just the wrong time for them. Uh, look, I, I don't think they lose too much sleep over it, albeit they failed yet again in a big game. I think that's the biggest thing for them. It would have been massive, Bob, for them to get over that. Simon Goodwin put it on the agenda this week. They weren't showing away from it. They had the game on their terms exactly how they wanted to play, and the plan was working perfectly, yet they walk away with another loss in a big they, game. They, they, did, they, they lost the big game, but I, they, did they fail? I think the emotion attached to that is, I think they'd be bitterly disappointed, but I don't think they'd be disheartened. I don't, I don't, I don't see it as a failure. Mm. I, think they, I think they definitely met the, met the standard and intensity of a big game and, and took it right up to the... Right up to Port Adelaide, but they they did they you know twice they got you know twenty point twenty odd points up they 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 will review review that pretty pretty strictly. I the, the the personnel is interesting as well. They're looking a little bit weary in the back line for me. I mean Lewis was was solid last night and his, and his experience was important, but Vince was down and probably has been for the year. And then uh, also Hibbard uh, w- was solid again, but he's not getting any younger Michael Hibbard. So Lever and Hunt are the two. I know Hunt wasn't in there for for form reasons and for whatever reason hasn't hit his straps and now he's out injured but also him and Lever are the two missing links that I think just separate them from the top four sides. So they're going to be a game out of the top four at the end of the round as they sit now they'll they'll either be fifth or sixth depending on what Collingwood does. They've got St Kilda, Fremantle and the Bulldogs in, in three consecutive weeks so we would expect the team that they want to be that they'll peel off those and then they, they hit Geelong and Adelaide and on the way home they've got Sydney and West Coast. They do, so I'm quite forgiving of Melbourne. I think they're they're growing as the year goes along and they'll have their failures, not dissimilar to the way Richmond had their failures during last year. Mm. Uh, And then what sort of shape are they in at the end? But there is just that structural element and it'll take them a few weeks is you can see where Lever is missing and that's why they brought him in. Oscar McDonough... He gave away that 50-meter penalty yes. right at the critical moment. It's hard to hang a bloke on one, but they are structurally, you can see it, and maybe over four or five weeks, they'll be able mm. to start to mask that. And they probably don't get their next test for for another month, Jared, as you said. So, St. Kilda Fremantle Bulldogs, the next test will come with Geelong away from home. So, we're not going to learn a lot over uh, the next three weeks with Melbourne, but you're spot on with Lever. Uh, McDonald was good and did a good job on Dixon. But, yeah, that class and that interceptor back there and the, the calm head and the good ball, ball use they missed last night. Jack Viney's doing exactly what you expect oh. him to do, Clayton Oliver. And this is why the ferocity around the ball, it was... Loved it. Now that's as good a, a battle. That was a battle game. And you wouldn't have been able to see it probably on TV, although half-time, I think Channel 7 captured it beautifully with Hamish McLaughlin out in the middle trying to get in the thick of it. But Viney and Pow Pepper... Going at it, you know, there's, Bob, there's a bit of niggle early, the five first five minutes, but then after a while, you you can't be bothered. The game plays out. This went yeah. on for three quarters. Viney just into Power Pepper. These two young midfielders going at it, and it was as spiteful a game as I've seen all year, and I loved that. I loved that. I reckon Melbourne It was entertaining. Oh, TV, yeah. TV did capture it because it, it started with, a, with a, you know, a captivating bit of footage of Pal Pepper and Oliver just leaning into each other like a couple of street fighters. <laughs> a lot of talk with, you know, they thought, you know, two contested ball beasts saying, and you, straight away you thought, I'm going to watch the game, and I'm also going to watch what's happening <laughs> around the game here. And, it, and you're right, it didn't, it didn't let up. There was a lot of bulls in the paddock. Mm. <laughs> it, it was unusual for, it sort of sets up 
if they do meet again in a key final, it's sort of that's that provides the the underlay for it. Like, well, it's like you know the preliminary build ups to a big title fight. There's just the sparring along is. the way, and, and Gorn and Ryder again. I, I thought Gorn got the points, and for me, he's a top three player in the game for me right now. Max Gorn, he, he's. He's testing out opposition ruckman like I haven't seen before. So his ability to push forward and and test them and then drop back in the hole and mark the footy and then the work he does around the stoppages. He's top three for me. So I thought I thought he got the points. It's going to take a very very good midfield and a very good ruckman to get on top of Melbourne if they are in a big final uh, on the big stage. So can't wait for that. They'll be around the mark. Tom Rockcliffe's about to join us from Port Adelaide. Simon Goodwin when the team lands. And Anthony Hudson joins Crunch Time in a moment. Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. On 11.16 SEM, the award-winning Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. We're looking into Port Adelaide's 10-point win over Melbourne at the Adelaide Oval last night. Sit for the moment has them fourth. They might end up fifth if Collingwood beats Carlton tomorrow, but they have a sighter of the top, only one game away from Richmond, Sydney and West Coast. Anthony Hudson was there and called it. Hutto, welcome. Uh, thank you, Jared. Apologies, everyone. Uh, just uh, the slight plane delay this morning, but uh, it is, as I'm sure Bob's told you, a beautiful day in Tassie. I just want to check if Kane's okay this morning. Are you okay, Kane? <laughs> All is well, Hutto. Thanks because for reminding he, me at the airport I don't know whether today. the boys... I presume they haven't brought it up yet, but uh, it's fair to say Spud mentioned it a couple of times last night. <laughs> Kane was the uh, the record holder for tackles at Port Adelaide until Sam Powell Pepper came along last night. And had 17 tackles. Kane, for most of the night, has believed in that he was the single holder of the 15 tackles. It was only much later in the call we discovered he actually shared it with two other Port players, and he didn't want to tell us that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, uh, I just wanted to make sure that he's okay. All 15 good. tackles in a game. Can some of that's a that, season's Bob? work. That's yeah. a season's work for some of us, mate. <laughs> All those people on Twitter calling me soft. There you have it. 15 tackles I laid how, in one game. But, we, you know, we've discussed this before. How many of these were tackles and how many were fall on top of? Because yes. I know what you midfielders like to do. Yes. Anyway, I, don't, I digress. I'm, I'm real, I know you've discussed this a little already, but I'm really interested as to where this leaves uh, the Demons, uh, boys, uh, because... Um, you know, in fact, our conversation, Jared, a couple of weeks ago, one of the Melbourne officials was listening and said to me, I oh, know we're real, we're real, I know that, yes. I know we're real. And, uh, and that self-belief they have, and that's, that's great, I think it's fantastic they have that self-belief, but, and I, I don't, I don't, didn't believe they lost any friends last night, but they do have some issues, don't they? You touched on it before the break about what they do with the Jake Lever. Uh, I thought Petrarca showed some good signs last night, but Simon Goodwin was questioned about him during the week and he said, no, no, he's happy. But he still didn't quite, you know, put it all together for four quarters. So there's a bit to work with there. And I think the question remains about Bernie Vince or Jordan Lewis as well. I'd be interested to know whether the, what the boys think about whether they can both fit into that same back line particularly. I reckon the, the additional kicker to that is Jesse Hogan, who mm. I, he's, I sort of want to say he's lost his place, but, you know, Tom McDonald has been granted that place and Hogan's been something different. So he's played some commanding footy up the ground, but... Did he have enough chance to influence last night? I thought he uh, had a chance late and misjudged the ball and ran under it. it. Look, it would be a brave coach to put McDonald back, wouldn't it, with the form that he's in. He's the most dangerous player right now. 
And I think they work well together. Hogan clearly had an off night and was well beaten uh, by Jonas, who was probably the, the best man on the ground, in my opinion. So I think we give him this one. But, yeah, there'd be some question marks if he has a quiet spell and they can't get it going together because if, they lack How a, do you turn them into the well. dual threat that they could be, where, you know, Kennedy and Darling at their best, Brown and Waite that we've seen. Isn't how do you it, turn it into the double threat? Isn't part of it just time together? Kane, I'm interested to hear your mm. thoughts. You would have played with, you know, a lot of, um, you know, the key forwards, and they are a different breed, the key forwards. We know that Dermot's not here today. But part of it, that chemistry of working together, and Darling and Kennedy have played a lot of footy together, that, and they obviously work really well too. I think maybe sometimes you have to take a step back to take a few forward with these key forwards when you've got two. They've got the luxury of having two of them. Hogan was a, was a more out-of-the-square player when he started, wasn't he? Mm, he mm. was. I, I thought, we'll speak to Tom Rockliffe about it, Port Adelaide were almost obsessed by getting numbers back. As hard a running back team as I've seen. So even Motlop playing along, uh, along the wing was running hard back. And every time I looked up, Port Adelaide had that wicketkeeper or that goalkeeper type of player. So... I think that was a, a good scouting analysis from Port Adelaide. They know that McDonald can get in behind the opposition and has done so. It d- happened once last night, but Port Adelaide scouted them really well last night and got the better of them. I think Tommy is on the line for us this morning and joins us on Crunch Time. Welcome to the show, Tom, and congratulations on last night. An exhausting affair. How are you feeling this morning? Good morning, yeah. No, pretty good. Um, pulled up pretty well from the game, so... I had a uh, extended stint on the bench in the last quarter. I, I couldn't get back out on the ground, so I'm actually pulled up all right. There's been three big weeks in a row, really, for the club, hasn't there? On the big on the big stage, and I know having talked to you about it, I think after the first one, you, you just loved being part of it. And last night was something special. Uh, Kane and I were lucky enough to be there, and when the siren went, you actually couldn't hear the siren. It was it was exhilarating. Yeah, the crowd was so loud last night, the way we finished the game with those sort of four contested marks, they just lifted every mark um, as it went along the ground. So it was a really good performance from the group. Obviously, we didn't get it all on our terms all night. Um, it, was, it was an ugly win, I suppose you'd say, but a, a rewarding one as well. What was it like being out there in the cut and thrust of the battle? The boys have talked already today about, you know, at, at times it even looked, not, juvenile's not the right word, but there's just a lot of push and shove and bravado out there. And that was all part of what was always going to be a, a, a match centred around the contest. Yeah, there was. There was a little bit in the, a little bit of spice. And I think there was a, a fair bit on the line for, for both clubs. So there's always going to be a little bit of heat and um, they're obviously a classy outfit and, and then Nick's here probably got the better of us last night. So it was a good contest throughout. And there was a, a lot of niggles throughout the night and um, obviously you, you do that to try and get opposition players off off their game and um, whether it works or not, um, I'm not sure, but we were happy to walk away with the win. Tom, Bob here. Congratulations on a, on a great win last night. We were, we were chatting already this morning about your underrated back line. And they, I just would like to hear your description. Are they, are they happy to be underrated or, or, or are they starting to get a bit frustrated with the lack of attention they're getting because they're putting together some good footy? And how did you see their performance last night? Yeah, Bob, they've been outstanding all season. And Tom Jonas has led, led from the front in that. And, um, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Um, all Australian fullback currently um, as the season sits, and they don't get talked about much. They're probably the, the least talked about players amongst our group, and I think they like it that way. That they just get their job done week in, week out. We know uh, defenders. There's not too much thrills unless you're a running halfback like yourself. So uh, <laughs> they uh, are happy just to go about their business and get it done. 
um, that's the most pleasing thing that we're starting to come together as a unit. Um, all 22 players out there on the park, um, everyone's still playing their role and when it's your turn to go, um, everyone's going and I think that's that's been a characteristic of the group over the last sort of four or five weeks. I like the fact, Bob, that you've asked him the question. Clearly, you've got, played with some defenders in the past who feel unrecognised <laughs> by what they've done. Yeah, well, that's that's how it works. The glamour boys are up the other end and get they get on the highlights on the TV. Uh, I was interested, Tom, um, the resilience of the group. Twice, twice last night, down by twenty odd points, and and Melbourne looked to have you know their pressure was was. Was, had really lifted. How, how was it? Was there a, was there a notable change out on the field, or was it just sticking to the sticking to the plan? Yeah, it felt like they sort of just got through us a couple of times and scored some quick goals, and it didn't feel like we'd lost the momentum of the game. And we always sort of felt that we were we were in the game, and um, we knew that if we could get it inside fifty, we were, we were scoring quite heavily um, percentage wise. When we got the ball inside fifty, we just didn't get it in there enough. On the night, so we knew if we just continued to to get that and, and get the pressure around the footy, that we we could force force ourselves back into the game, and, and we did that. And um, it felt like every time we went forward, we we almost scored. And um, we have such a dangerous forward line that's operating really well at the moment. Charlie Dixon um, continues to present and get the ball to ground, and then we, we we all know what Robbie Gray can do, and, and Justin Westhoff's been really good in the last sort of two or three weeks down there. Tom, last year, uh, Port Adelaide lost their head of high-performance, Darren Burgess. Throughout the year, he's gone to Arsenal to head up their high-performance team. Your last quarter was a massive tick for the new fitness regime headed up by Ian McEwen. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he runs an outstanding program and the whole team in the high-performance high um, department do an outstanding job. And um, <clears throat> the pleasing thing for us is we, that we feel like we're on top of the ground and we can go with most teams um, for a full four-quarter effort. And we knew that it was going to take all four quarters last night to get the result um, that we wanted and, and we got. Outscored Melbourne by three goals in the last term. 164 games for yourself, no finals. The thought of playing finals this year for you? Yeah, something that obviously um, I, I want to achieve in my career and um, that's, I think, why everyone plays. So we've set ourselves up in a reasonable position at the moment. We're obviously 9-4 and four and we've just got to continue to win games and put ourselves in the best position and, and everyone knows that's a top four and if you can do that and hopefully we can continue to win games and, and push for that top two position so that you get two home finals. So I'm just really loving my time at the Port Adelaide Football Club and, and going out there and performing my role um, for the team. It was obviously a little bit of a tough, tough start to the season personally, but um, I've started to find a little bit of form and I'm just loving every minute um, of my footy at the moment. Last month's been really strong. Speaking of that, Ken resisted the urge to bring back Jack Watts. Um, Also, Pittard's gone back to play Sanford footy yourself. Jack Watts finds himself there, as does Jack Homp. So, finally, there's some real pressure on selection. Yeah, I think that's that's the most pleasing thing and there's heaps of heaps of boys in the Sanford that are playing outstanding footy at the moment and obviously Watsy going back he he played a really good game last week and it was just one of those things that everyone played well in the senior team so it was going to be really hard to make a change and obviously with TJ coming back last night Homer was uh, unfortunately squeezed out of the back line so it's just uh, it's, it's a really good place to be in and, and if we can stay fit and healthy and, and push really hard in the back half of the season then um, you know you've got to have a healthy list going into that sort of last last month of footy. 
Tom, you've spoken about there your journey through the season. So tangibly, what what would you say has changed over the last, what, four to six weeks? Oh, I just needed to get a few runs under my belt. I came off a shoulder reconstruction and didn't play any pre-season games with a little knee complaint. And then I, I had a, a little calf issue, so I just couldn't get the body um, cherry ripe. And if you're one or two percent off um, in the game these days, you get found out pretty quick. And I, I just couldn't compete at the level. And um, credit to the coaches, I went back and did a little bit more fitness and uh, played a couple of sample games and found a bit of touch. And then just came in and a little bit of continuity as well, playing with Ollie Wind and Sam Pepper and Brad Ebert. And I felt a little bit early on in the season that I wasn't sure where I stood within the team and whether I could go get the ball or not get the ball. I was sort of second-guessing myself a little bit. So after my uh, stint there, I just thought, well, if we crash into each other, we crash into each other. And, um, we seem to be playing some pretty good footy at the moment. We're starting to work out how what works for, for each of us. So how hard is it to learn a new system and new teammates, Tom? Yeah, I think the, the system that we play, I've, I haven't seen anything like it before. And it, it took a little bit. Obviously, I, you, you can pick it up um, visually and you can train it, but then once you get in the um, hustle and bustle of the season and you're playing opposition teams, that's when the real challenge comes. And it took me a little bit longer than I would have liked to adjust to that, but... Um, pretty happy with how it's gone the last sort of four or five weeks. Do you feel like Port plays in a way that nobody else does? Yeah, I do. I, I, I really, really do believe that. I think um, we've got a outstanding sort of coaching group that looks at the game a little bit differently and I don't think that anyone in the competition is doing what we're doing at the moment. Do you think, so everyone needs a point of difference, do you feel like that's the point of difference that can drive you a long way in this season? Yeah, yeah, there's a number of factors I think that the club do really well and, and differently to, to other footy clubs that um, I've been involved in or, or seen in the past. And I think we've got, got that little edge um, footy-wise, but also high-performance-wise. As Kane touched on before, we seem to be finishing games off really strong. Our second half has been outstanding all season. So that gives us a, a little 1% or 2% extra as well. So you've settled into your footy well. Have you settled into life in Adelaide? Yeah, I love it over here. Um, obviously, growing up in country Victoria and spending a fair bit of time in Brisbane, everyone seems to swag Adelaide, but it's, uh, it is a really nice spot and it's got beaches and we're just on our way up to the Barossa now. Um, so looking forward to getting up there and just having a bit of a relaxing time. What's the intensity of footy like in the city? Yeah, it's crazy. I'm glad I'm not playing for the Crows or involved with the Adelaide Crows at the moment because they're getting funded. Um, left, right and centre and obviously Kane is a, a media personality that uh, drives a, a fair bit of uh, media over here as well. And agitator. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's an agitator. <laughs> Have you been on the wrong end of that yet? No, not yet. I want to stay on the good side for the time being. <laughs> been pumping him up. Biggest fan. Uh, enjoy your time in the Barossa, Tom. Good on you. Thanks for having well me. Well done, mate. Jeez. Sounds like a good way Go to spend you, a Saturday afternoon. Tom Rockcliffe. Nothing better, Bob, than a Friday night win and you get the, the weekend off. You, you oh, don't often get a couple of days to enjoy AFL footy. You move on so quickly, but a nah, Friday night a win is beautiful. Double-edged, double-edged sword, the Friday night footy. We we all want them because you think, oh, isn't it great when you win and you head off to a winery for Saturday lunch? If you lose, mm-hmm. there's no winery for lunch. There's just a dark cupboard to sit in and <laughs> stew over. They are unique, Port. 
as I'm interested, so I have this sort of same observation. From the outside, you can see it without necessarily being able to put your finger on it. And sort of Tom's the same. He says you can watch it, you can train it, but until you're actually out there, um, it's it's hard to exactly describe and understand what it is. The difference of how they play. Yeah. yeah look, I think when we know Port Adelaide is a, a fast ball movement side, well, that's how they want to play, but not often are they allowed to do that. So. Look, I think they're still poor by foot. And if you look at the numbers, um, you can get a hold of Port Adelaide and they do turn the footy over, which you can score off. So that's an issue for them. They need to tidy up. And even last night, at one point, they were going at 17% by foot inside their forward half and they wasted some opportunities. So that, I think they need to clear that up. But that's not going to happen because the personnel aren't there. They're not elite kicks in there. But uh, when they play and win the contested footy and match other teams like they have the last three weeks, very, very difficult to beat, especially at home. So they've been Richmond by kicking 10 goals and Melbourne by kicking 11 mm. goals, which sort of runs against how the perception is around Port Adelaide and they kick 20 goals to down the Bulldogs. So they're capable of both. And they've that's... beaten some quality for me as well, Jerry. That, that's what they couldn't do last year. They couldn't beat quality. They've now gone to Sydney and won there without Paddy Ryder. They've also beaten North Melbourne in Melbourne and Richmond in the last three weeks as well as Melbourne last night. So there's four quality teams they've knocked off this year. And Adelaide, they won that showdown when Adelaide were going a lot better than what they are now. Simon Goodwin will join us shortly once Melbourne land and we'll pick the brain of the Demons coach and pose some of the questions that linger out of their back-to-back losses in key games. On 11.16 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. Simon Goodwin, the Melbourne coach, coming up to reflect on last night's defeat and where it leaves the Demons, just on the outside looking in in terms of the top four. An injury update for Arnold Thomas and Becker. It was all clear last night, no apparent major injuries from Thursday night in the West. The Hawks could still be without Ben McAvoy and Ben Puopolo today with their wives close to giving birth, but uh, we'll have news as that ticks along and the team sheets are lodged. So the injury updates on all sorts of different fronts for Arnold Thomas and Becker over 50 years' experience in personal injury law. It gives us the first crack at the crunch, uh, and Port Adelaide lead this off. They are irked, I think it's fair to say, between their chairman David Kosh on 3AW last night and Ken Hinckley in the aftermath over the rule change trials which have taken place in two different venues. The rule change may come out in October, but Alistair Clarkson, after all his coffees, and Jeff Kenner (laughs) with the AFL bigwigs, he's able to think about it for an extra four months. I think the tapes of those games should be given to every club. I agree totally. Because other coaches may have suggestions. Mm. Other players may have suggestions. What's to hide from it? I have no input into what the rule makers will do, so I'm probably better off to stay out of it because they'll make their decisions. I'm looking forward to the vision coming to us so we can get a look at that vision so we can see. So we don't want clubs having a six-month advantage over what they've seen trialled when other clubs haven't seen any of that. That would be the only question I would have about that. If you're going to do trials, all 18 clubs deserve to get a look at it, I imagine. It's going to have an impact in lots of things if they change rules as drastically as they're talking about doing. As I said, I'm not going to have any input to what they're going to do because they'll do that. Koshy spoke about there's no V in AFL, which was a little bit rich. There's There's been two rules trials. One was Hawthorne, one was Brisbane. So I don't see how you could be fairer than that as staging two. So I reckon the AFL's in an invidious position here is they are running trials so that when they are asked, well you can't make rule changes without some sort of evidence and the only way to do it is around buys with teams. So they're doing the best they can there. They have formed the competition committee to get input 
from as many different sectors and stakeholders as possible, and it's supposed to funnel through them to avoid the very idea of sending it all to 18 clubs and getting 18 different sets of feedback. Port Adelaide is represented on the competition committee and nothing happens without that group meeting in late July. So what they're doing now is trying a whole lot of things which most won't continue on. Mm. They're just trying to get a look at, form the body of evidence, get some really analytical data around it, and I hope this continues on in the next coming weeks and then feed it through the competition committee. Fair to say, though, Ken made a good point that if they can't be involved in the trial, they should have access to the vision. Now, I don't think that would be giving anything away in terms of team secrets or anything like that. Should they have access to that vision to be able to assess that and even the findings from that, should they have the data? I think that's a reasonable point that he made. I get it's logistically impossible to get around to all 18 clubs, but you could probably share that vision. So when they choose what they're going to do, that vision will absolutely be for everyone to have a look at this is why we're doing it, including the public for what that's worth mm. but that was what we said they, they had 35 different things they're workshopping nine of them they'll probably between two and six that will end up coming through how do you feel about the recruiters right now um, now if there is more space in the forward line if there's starting positions the key forward like in the under 18s could come really back into vogue and there's you know Lacocious and the king twins that are available in the draft even, rec- but, but even in key forwards that are currently running around, Kane, yeah. like uh, Paddy McCartan and, and Tom Boyd. Shaky. That's Yeah, those guys, have that. that's huge for those clubs, isn't it? Bulldogs mm. have got two. But we're halfway through the year and the recruiters don't know, you know, am I going to take a midfielder with the first pick or am I going to go with a forward because they're going to have rules that are going to suit them finally and they're back in vogue after a couple of, well, probably 10 years have been on the outer a little bit with the ones that haven't come off. So I've got a little bit of sympathy, as Spud was speaking about it last night, with the recruiters. They'll have a month between when the rules are announced and between when they go to the draft. And they do keep dossiers on every player who's in the mix. So it's not like they'll get to the draft and go, oh, what are we doing here? But Which you make decisions, though, though, Jared. If you're, if you're Adelaide, and are you offering Rory Sloan a massive contract or are you happy for him to go to get a first-round pick yep. for him? So the clubs right now are making decisions. Do, I don't know, the West Coast trade out Andrew Gaffel McGovern to get a pick to get into the draft. So I think clubs are making those decisions now and it's difficult for them. We couldn't. We sure... Imagine if the AFL said, oh, we're going to announce this week the rules we're changing for next year. There would be uproar. Yeah, no. You, you can't disrupt the flow of this season. No, you can't, but I have some sympathy for clubs and, and recruiters now. It's not an ideal world, but you know, it's a, a difficult position to be in. I, I guess everyone's in the same boat. The three o'clock press conference in Adelaide oh. today, Kane, it's... <laughs> I know in South Australia this is bigger than any game that has been played. So well, the Crows Kane, are going have, to have front you, up. Has Kane been given the first question? How's the card no, style? Been, I, want, I want you up front. I've been locked out. Although <laughs> um, former Port Adelaide captain Warren Treadray called them a basket case this week, which has um, somewhat taken the heat off my, my criticism. I actually got a little. bit I actually got a little bit of sympathy for Adelaide. I think they have been at times harshly dealt with particularly by some sections of the Melbourne media and, and probably Treader's article calling them a basket case was, was far too harsh, in my opinion. But, Jared, is this almost unprecedented to call a 3 o'clock Saturday press conference yes. in round 14 and say everything's on the agenda? So you can ask us about the camp, you can ask us about our injuries, we've done a review, we will be up front, we will share that information. I cannot remember a club having to do that. No, so it does... It, it folds back on the Fremantle press conference of oh, six weeks ago where they finally got to the point of the chairman, the coach, the chief executive asking questions until they were exhausted. Mm. And who, who fronts it today, Jared? 
It's it's uh, Brett Burton, the head of football, and Don Pike, the coach. Yep. Yep. So what's the best result out of it? I, these are these are really good tests for the media because you have to ask the right questions today. You, you do, and they've been given a, a lot of time to prepare. So the Crows haven't spoken all week. I think, mate, besides a couple of players that have uh, commercial agreements with radio and TV have spoken, but the club, from a leadership point of view, the CEO, the head of football, the coach, haven't spoken. So they've had a week to come up with their plan, and the media have had a week to come up with their plan as well. So... I would like to know why this camp is still on the agenda. I would like to know what is happening with the injuries and what's the fallout from that. And I'd love to know what's going on with player retention. Is is the talk of McGovern, Sloan, where's he at? Tom Lynch still remains unsigned. He's in their leadership group. Only four, one of four players in their leadership group and some conjecture around that. There's so many questions and I, I don't believe they'll put it all on the agenda, but you can only ask. Well, they should. Is the whole purpose is to take every question and make sure those questions are asked. So this is where it's a media responsibility. Hutto, this is quite a spectacle. It's very unusual. And I think in Adelaide, they're probably going to drop away from game coverage to take it. Um, so the dynamic out of this, what, what's the outcome? That's what I think is really interesting. What's Adelaide's best outcome out of this. Yeah, look, uh, I haven't heard the discussion you've just had because I've, I've, I've been uh, in a meeting, but uh, look, uh, their outcome is, I think, just to try and get it, obviously get it all out there and hopefully be able to move on in some, from a, because it's obviously completely dominated the agenda. It's distracting, even if they feel that it's all been put behind them. And I mean, the evidence obviously is that, you know, at least with some players it hasn't been, but from a, a media and a public position, it's to try and move on. But um, whether that's going to be achieved by, by this or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, it'll be fascinating to see. Prepared statement, Hutto, or will they just open it up to questions? Oh, I think they're going to open it up. From what, certainly from what I was told last night, they're going to open it up. And there's already no, no David Warner style. No, I don't think so. To the, that would um, be a mistake, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not going to clear anything up if they, if they do it in a prepared way. And already we saw in there, I picked up the Adelaide Advertiser before I came, um, on the, the flight this morning, and there was, there was an article on it already. So clearly they'd already briefed. Uh, one of the journalists, uh, I think it was Reese Humphrey, about some of the stuff. So, so, so there's a level of detail already put out there, but I guess we'll get more detail and any ask any question, they'll have answers ready to go, and hopefully that will draw some sort of uh, line to, for them to move on. But whether it achieves that or not remains to be seen. It because I mean there's still going to be the speculation, isn't there, about the players until the end of the year? Yeah, I think I think it's an excellent strategy, and now we just see how it unfolds. Uh, is there a chance that someone could pay the price? We've seen Essendon uh, move on one of their coaches halfway through the year. Is, it, is there a chance that the, I don't, I'm speculating here clearly, but the high performance manager or someone in a, in a leadership position could suffer the consequences for the performance and the injury woes this year? Well, that's an open question, Ooh, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Uh, it, would, it, wouldn't, yeah, so it wouldn't surprise me is, is all I'm, I'm saying because at some point there is a tipping point and maybe Eddie Betts's um, second hamstring for the year, a tendon issue on the back of it. I mean, how much is too much? It probably uh, depends on the process that they've taken though, doesn't it? Like if they said, oh, we're all in this, this is what we're going to do, we're going to be more aggressive, we're going to do this and this. If they've all ticked off on it, mm. then then they kind of have to all take responsibility, don't they? Unless there's some sort of level of negligence or you know they've actually got maths wrong and made mistakes that they can they can clearly be accountable for. Mm. I think I think at some point fans will want a scapegoat for this and they'll want to hang their hat on something and then show that there's been some action taken. So 
Yeah, well, we'll wait and see clearly. Yeah, a lot of unanswered questions hopefully cleared up at 3 o'clock today. I wonder if someone will, will just get to the direct questions, ask, was there a mock hijacking of a bus on the camp? Yeah. Were the Indigenous players vilified in a way that is unbefitting the club? Is This is where it rolls back on the media to ask really mm. specific and detailed questions about all that's been hinted around. Is just You'd think they would, it. wouldn't you? I hope so. Otherwise... Uh, Otherwise, our side of the fence fails. Yeah. And I think it's one of those press conferences where it's not just the sports journos that turn up as well. So I think there's the you could have the political journos who are, I think, harder-edged, Jared, than, than some of our, especially in Adelaide, because it's like Perth. You need that open relationship with both clubs, and it works. There's a relationship there. Do you send in the heavy hitters? Oh, I think that might happen today. Oh, it has the potential to be <laughs> genuinely feisty, it does. I think. And, yeah, how forthcoming... If you're going to sit there, you have to answer the questions that come. And if you want it to be the circuit breaker, this is clearly what they're aiming for, is for it to be the circuit breaker so that you can no longer um, hint at stuff. Questions are asked and questions are answered. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real moment. I expect it to be, uh, to be combative. Mm, same. Can't wait. We'll see where it takes us. A little later in the crunch, as Carlton has changed tack this week twice with Mark Robinson, they've sat down with the chief footy writer of the Herald Sun and addressed where they are. Um, Stephen Silvani, who's the architect of the plan, has put that forward in today's Herald Sun. Mark Ledudache in Tuesday's Herald Sun spoke in the aftermath of that. So the Blues coming off, well, the worst half that they've turned in under Brendan Bolton last Saturday have mounted the public case, at least to tend to that side, which seems to be a change in policy as well. So we'll get to that later in the crunch and we'll pose the question around West Coast is what was that on Thursday night? Yeah. Was that Kennedy and Darling missing or was that one flat performance? Because that opens up the top end of the ladder uh, in terms of teams being able to make a case and make a rush. The 40 Winks ladder update, 40 Winks serious about sleep. Port Adelaide moves to fourth with the victory last night and has a, a real shot at those above them. The Demons fall a game from the pace of the top four, but what it's Collingwood's playing for fourth spot tomorrow against Carlton. It's, you couldn't imagine a better scenario for the Pies. No, it's it, one question... You know, I mean, remember back at the start of the year in that game, going into the game, there was some feeling that Carlton and Collingwood weren't necessarily that far apart. And in fact, the game started with Carlton on top and then uh, Collingwood then really asserted their authority, kicked very straight in the second half. I think Baxter sort of was disappointed with the way they didn't really finish off the game. But uh, since then, it's been very divergent past the two clubs, hasn't it? Playing with a lot of belief, Hutto, Collingwood. And they, I, I love their dare. We've talked about it all year. I love their sense of adventure. We've had so many conversations and talk back about the state of the game and the rugby style of modern mm. footy. And then you, you, you watch Collingwood, who are having so much success... It's pretty inspiring to watch. We'll pose our questions to Melbourne coach Simon Goodwin shortly. He'll join us. The three key takeouts from last night's encounter, Port Successful. And Mark Evans, the chief executive of the Gold Coast. What is in store for the Suns? What do they need? Do they need emergency assistance from the AFL? Will he come in behind the president? We'll find out. Mark Evans will join us on Crunch Time. The award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. 
Crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. Jared Waitley and Anthony Hudson alongside Bob Murphy and Kane Corns. Reflecting on last night's Port Adelaide's victory over the Demons. So 10-point winners, the power coming from behind and setting up a run at the top portion of the ladder for the time being. They are fourth. The three key takeouts after last night's match. Hutto, the first is for you. Was that a great game? Yeah, this is a really interesting question, Jared. We, when you're calling it, I mean, you're trying to see the... You, you want to be into it, and we certainly were last night. So from a competitive, from a brutality point of view, from a match on the line, from a season on the line, from a status point of view, it had all of that. And, you know, I loved it from that point of view. I wouldn't... Though, Was it my, great, Anthony? My rider would be... <laughs> that you wouldn't want every game to be played that way because it was very much... It was a contested possession game. It was, And I couldn't... I can't help but imagine now when I'm watching footy because we're very close to this potentially happening at stoppages, seeing the players spread out. I am now imagining players back in the, in the defensive yeah. 50 and thinking, wow, what would that actually bring to us? So yeah. that's my rider, but it was, still a, it was still a terrific contest and just, you know, I, I loved it from that point. Kane, you, you declared it the game of the year. Yeah. I put to you that we're setting the bar low oh, that in 2018 yeah. terms. So that's as good a game as we can get in 2018 uh, in a way, but that's not as good as footy can be. Well, I, from my perspective, that was the game of the year, and I'm invested. You know, it's you, you watch your old side closely. It's Friday night. It's a big stage. I thought, as Hutto said, there was carnage. There was niggle. There was big hits. There were some good goals. It was close. It was tight, and it was as good a or closest thing to a final as I've seen this year. I personally would have no issue if every game was played that way. I thought it was a great game. Bob, I thought it was a. I thought it was a good first. Oh, and the first half was hard to watch. To be honest, like the style of the game, it was. I I agree with Kane. The intensity was finals like, and it was physical, but it wasn't. It wasn't that much to look. I didn't get too excited. The second half was really, really good. It was. I don't think it was a great, like the, like we've described in years gone by. But it was. It, nah, was nah. A, it was a bloody good game. By year standard, there's no. Yeah, but, but my, yeah, the bar the bar is lower. That's, yeah, that's the fact. And I think Kane, to your point about you don't mind games being played that way. If they're played by the top teams, they're mm. all right to watch. It's when that style is played by the bottom teams. Yeah, good call. That there's. It's very hard to watch. It makes me laugh when we get a good game every now and then, and someone will pipe up and go, oh, "The game's fine." And you go, "Oh, yeah. we really have low expectations <laughs> these days." So one good game every now and then. That's all we're after. Um, let's your question, Hutto. Let's pose that. Is there room? for both Vince and Lewis in the Melbourne side, Bob? Uh, is there room for both? I, th- I think there is. I, I, th- I think they're both doing enough. I mean, Vince was really quiet last night. Jordan Lewis, is, his numbers are, is, are good, Jordan. There are, there are moments when he does look like... He, he's never quick, but he looks like he has lost a yard. But I, I wouldn't be making a call yet to, to put a line through those two. But but Vince is in a bit of a bit of a rut. Well, I said pregame, I'd love to see Bernie, and I'm not sure if he's physically capable. But I've seen him play some terrific footy as a defensive midfielder, uh, and really set the scene for for Melbourne's midfield. Now you argue with the youngsters going through there now, Brayshaw. Jones and Oliver and Vania are ahead of him, but I would love to see him play that role. Uh, we'll ask Simon Goodwin why he doesn't go there anymore. Hutto, in, implicit in your question was that, that you're developing a view? Yeah, look, I, I, and I think they, I just think it's an area that they, 
they lack the pace. And I think Jordan Lewis is still playing an important role, a, a trafficking role, a controlling role down there. He's obviously, you know, not, not, he's closer to the end than... Trafficking? Well... <laughs> Traffic control. Traffic control. <laughs> uh, so I think he's still playing a, a role. And, and you can see why Bernie Vince is still in the team, but I, I just... I, you could also, I mean, Jaden Hunt's the man that should be there, but yeah. I think he's injured now. But his his form clearly wasn't enough for them to, um, and we can talk to Simon Goodwin about it for them to to pick him. So it's it's for them to make the choice. But I think they need more run out of defence, and and they, you know, even Jake Lever's absence probably compounds that a little bit. Not that he's the the running player, but he he creates more of that with the, with the, more of the intercepts, and then they can get more you know, players bounding out of defence. Kane is is Jaden Hunt the sort of player? Uh, opposition clubs will chase if he's because he, he, yep. he burst onto the scene. Doesn't he's languishing in the reserves at the moment? No, too good to be playing reserves footy for me. I, I'm not sure what the issue there is because we've seen him. I thought he was going to be one of the real bright young prospects of the game. He's got the attributes. He's tough. He's lightning quick, and he uses the ball well. Perhaps, and co- coaches will often say he needs to work on the defensive side of his game, um, but we, as fans, don't really see that, do we? So we'll ask Goody about that, but he's out for six weeks with an injury, so that's, that's going to hurt him. So Tom Rockcliffe is one of the fresh set of eyes to Port Adelaide, having seen what they do, absorbed it, and learnt it. Uh, this was Tom on Crunch Time. I really, really do believe that. I think um, we've got an outstanding sort of coaching group that looks at the game a little bit differently, and I don't think that anyone in the competition is doing what we're doing at the moment. There's a number of factors I think that the club do really well and, and differently to, to other footy clubs that um, I've been involved in or, or seen in the past. And I think we've got, got that little edge footy-wise, but also high-performance-wise. We seem to be finishing games off really strong. Our second half has been outstanding all season. So that gives us a, a little 1% or 2% extra as well. Has Port got the point of difference to contend, Kane? Uh, yes, they do, because when you look at the class they've got in their side, I think they're as classy in terms of personnel as what Collingwood are. Genuine elite talent in their side. Wingard, uh, you know, probably Westoff as well. Wines, uh, Dixon when he's going, Robbie Gray, Motlop. So there's class. Polak is, is a classy player. Um, there's match winners there to go with the, the defence that we've spoken about and then the inside uh, contested animal. So very well balanced at the moment. I still think they need Jack Watts in there. Jack Watts replacing Todd Marshall, if he can get in form, could be just the, the difference for them ahead of the final series. Bob? Uh, yeah, I think so, Jared. I'm, I'm smitten with the Port Adelaide defence at the moment. And we've, they've got, they've got top-end talent through the mid and, and the forward line. I'm not sure about Jack Watts, though, Kane. I'm a, I was a big, big supporter of Jack. Mm. For, uh, at the start of this year, I thought this, we're going to see this the player we all thought he could be and the fact that he's out for seemingly just that, it's still those issues around appetite and hunger. I, I look at a guy, I look at Lindsay Thomas last night and I, I, he didn't have huge numbers, but he, he's come straight into the side and he, he took big hits, he got involved, he played with real hunger and appetite. I'm not sure if Jack Watts gets back in this side, um, but I think I think they've got something pretty special, Port. Yeah, it's him versus Marshall, isn't it, really? You'd, you'd think from here as to, yeah. as to who takes that space. And uh, Just finally on, on the game from last night for the moment, Bob, and you, um, are you more convinced about Port Adelaide than, than you were before last night? Get, yes. You definitely are? Yep. Yeah, twice they were, twice they were, and they, they looked genuinely rattled at the start. Melbourne's pressure was fierce, and they were a bit fumbly and a bit jumpy. Thought, oh, it'd be interesting to see how they react to this on their home 
on their home ground and they passed the test twice and I, I loved how they closed out the game. I know it's the last thing we see yeah. and maybe that's no, no, maybe it's... I'm making more of it than what it was, but though those four big contested marks and just to just to shut it down um, and their big boys doing it thought, oh, that's they're those little moments you think that that does add to real belief inside a footy team. I think it's going to be really interesting, and again, something to talk to Simon Goodwin about, how to assess last night's game, because you know, when we interviewed Travis Spokes right after the game, he was he was wrapped with a win, but you could tell he was almost as equally disappointed with how much they get they got beaten up by around the contest, but it was that sort of brutal game, so uh, they'd be delighted with what they achieved last night. All right, before we speak to Simon, we might take the opportunity. Brendan Bolton has moved into that t- territory, Jared, of uh, doing a press conference on a Saturday morning. Yes. If, you, if you want to hide away, this is the place to do it. Uh, the Carlton coaches we talked about, um, they, it's been interesting to, uh, to uh, see what they've done from a strategy point of view publicly. So let's, in fact, let's hold because Simon Goodwin has uh, just jumped on the line. So we'll hold on Brendan Bolton. Apologies to Carlton fans and, uh, and we'll come back come back to that very shortly but the Melbourne coach has taken our call as we reflect on last night's brutal contest at uh, Adelaide Oval. Uh, Simon thanks for joining us appreciate your time it was a, a tough one last night that's for sure. Yeah no worries I don't thanks uh, thanks for having me yeah it was a you know, it was a really strong game of footy it was a contested brand of footy um, obviously the result um, didn't go our way but I was really delighted in the way we played, you know, the behaviours are exhibited. It was a finals-like atmosphere in a, in a pretty hostile environment. So you're always disappointed that you don't get the result, but um, there's certainly a lot of uh, lot of learning, a lot of growth from our, from our playing group. Yeah, we were just discussing on how to assess it, and I mentioned Travis spoke, spoke to us post-match and sort of almost exhibited partial disappointment that they'd been beaten in a lot of those key areas, and yet they'd shown the character and found a way to, to get forward. Given the, the context of the game of you guys and... I know you probably don't like talking about this, but it's the reality which you acknowledge publicly that you haven't been able to beat those those top end sides yet. How how do you then look back on last night, even given what you've said already about some of the behaviours? Well, I think we took a huge step forward, Hutto. You know, obviously, um, as I say, it's probably more the way you play in those type of games. And I thought last night, probably for the first time this year against really high quality opposition, that we played um, the Melbourne way of playing and. Um, that's probably what delighted me the most. I thought it was a pretty big step forward in the way um, we need to play in those type of games. And um, we'll only get better in that environment as we move forward and experience those uh, those moments more and more often. So what didn't you do then? I, was, I think just as the game wore on, we, didn't, we certainly didn't take our opportunities early in the game. We weren't efficient inside 50. I think early in the game we had a lot of dominance in the game where we should have really hit the scoreboard a little bit more and um, I guess if you don't get that reward as the game wore on, um, I thought Port was terrific in the last quarter. You know, they had 20 more tackles in that last quarter, so I think they just wore us down by the end of the game. But um, in saying that, in those type of games, you need to take your opportunities. You know, we dominated the territory battle and the clearance battle for most of the night, and um, we just didn't connect in a way that uh, you know reflected on the scoreboard. Goody, was there anything Port Adelaide did that surprised you last night? Uh, no, we always knew it was going to be a high stoppage clearance game. Um, you know, that's the way their games have shaped up at Adelaide Oval. Um, so there wasn't anything that surprised us in terms of that. They're, um, you know, they've got some pretty elite midfielders in the way that they play their footy. Um, so, and, and we knew they were going to target one of our players and, and we knew it was going to be Max Gorn. So um, nothing really surprised us in the way they played. Um, and we were ready for that. And I thought we handled the moment and the, and the game really well. How did you think Max responded to that from the outside? It was a pretty strong performance. Yeah, it was. You know, he's uh, he's a really important player to us, and uh, he's had that sort of uh, attention for 
majority of the season, and he just continues to just go about playing his game of footy um, to the best of his ability. His ruck works really strong. He, he gets around the ground and continues to work incredibly hard for us. So no, I rated his game really highly last night. Do you think he was targeted in a fair way? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's the, you know they, they're into him. They're blocking him from getting to stoppages. You know, we were very similar with Paddy Ryder. So um, it was sort of a battle from... Uh, a ruck dominance perspective because that's the type of game that it was going to be. It was always going to be a, a Dewey Knight, a, a stoppage clearance-based game. So those two guys are really important to both teams. You've had a couple of weeks without Jake Lever. Uh, how have you assessed the way you're trying to cover for his loss? Yeah, look, we've brought Joel Smith into the team and uh, probably a slightly different player. He, he still um, has some aerial capabilities, probably not the strength of, um, of Jake. So we'll continue to monitor that. You know, I thought they stood up relatively well last night. You know, we obviously had a lot more inside 50s than the opposition, but um, you know, we're, we're probably a little bit light on for height in our back half, but in saying that, I thought they stood up okay on the night. Simon, Bob here. Uh, bad luck last night. Uh, a lot to like. Twice in the game, out to 20-odd point leads. Is it too dramatic to, to question whether the, the, the boys at this stage have developed that killer instinct just to put a side away? Uh, it's hard to say, Bob. You know, it's, um, I think it's as you grow and mature as a team, you understand the moments of the game where you really need to continue to put the foot down. Um, for the large part of the season, um, something that we've really worked on is really finishing games off and, and really finishing opposition off when we got that opportunity. It's probably been a, a strength of ours, but that was probably the first time against a really good opposition that we're in a position where we're 20 points up in the game and the game was there for the taking. And um, I think they're the type of moments that we'll learn and grow from and and really reflect on that, you know, we, we need to actually, that's the time to really put down a little bit more. And what about what about Jaden Hunt, the player who, for some of us from the outside, we sort of wonder, you know, he's such an exciting game-breaker. Uh, where's his season at, and is he a chance to enter into the side before finals? Yeah, look, he is. He's an important player to our, to our club and our team. You know, he brings that front of bounce off the back half. Um, he had a little bit of an indifferent pre-season with, um, with his body and a, a few other things, so... Um, he came in a little bit underprepared in the way that we wanted him to be. Um, and with that, his polyform suffered a little bit. So um, we wanted him to go back in the VFL, work on some um, things with his ball use, but also some of the defensive side of his game um, and really develop those fundamentals at the VFL level. And he was really tracking in the right direction until last week, obviously getting injured with an ankle. So that was disappointing for Jay, but also really disappointing for us. So are you comfortable you've got enough run out of, out of the back line? Obviously with Jake... Not as many intercepts, and and then we've we've been discussing uh, whether or not uh, Jordan and Bernie can still both be part of that defence. Yeah, look, you know, Bernie and um, and Geordie are doing a terrific job with their leadership in the back half. Um, you know, they've been outstanding for most of the year. Um, Bernie's had a couple of quiet weeks the last couple of weeks, but um, you know, without Jake being there and that intercept mark, as you said, it's probably still to our ball movement a little bit in the back half, but. We'll continue to have a look at that. Um, you know, we've got some guys in the VFL that are pressing. Um, so, but those guys know they've got to earn their spot on the way they play, and um, that'll be continued to how we pick our team. Can you just take us into the mindset of your leaders at this this time of the year, Goody, about what they're doing behind the scenes to to drive and continue to try and improve? Obviously, you know, much talked about winning these big games and trying to, but. Um, we all know the, the Nathan Jones story and the desperation, but it's you know, the young ones coming through with him that, and what they're doing. Oh, they're just continuing to drive the behaviours and the habits and the basics of the game that are going to stand up in, in big games and ingrain those throughout our whole footy club. 
Um, so they're continuing to work with the younger players. Um, they're understanding it more themselves. You know, Max Gorn, um, Nathan Jones um, haven't played in a lot of um, big games um, as, a, as players at a footy club. So they're still learning that themselves, but they're, they're certainly driving those behaviours through the playing group and ingraining them so we can stand up in those moments. So, um, you know, we're evolving as a team. Um, we're getting better and we're understanding that these moments are something we're going to have to be really good at. So um, I thought last night, as I said, was a step forward, but the, the leaders are doing a terrific job in preparing our young group for that. What is it, do you think, that you learn and that you have to learn to go through with those big games? Oh, how important the basics are, how important the team roles are, how important the selflessness to play your role in the team. And You can't do those games on your own. You, you need everyone contributing in a way that, that helps the team function. And uh, it really comes down to doing the basics for longer times and, and really having that, you know, that mentality um, just to, to love the grind and to love the battle. Goody, Tom McDonald, I've loved his season. Will you categorically resist the urge to put him back? Yeah, look, we will at this stage. You know, obviously nothing definitive um, at any point in the season. You know, Oscar's doing a terrific job down back, but Tom's been unbelievable in the way that he's played forward of the footy. You know, he's, um, his ability to mark the ball inside forward 50 and have impact on the scoreboard's been significant for us. So um, something would have to go horribly wrong mm. in our back half for him to shift back. What about, what about the, the synergy yeah. between between Tom and, and Jesse Hogan, Goody? Yeah, well, I think for most of the year it's been really strong. You know, obviously Jess has had a couple of quieter weeks than um, he had previously, but I think their synergy is working well together. You know, Tom certainly um, has a big impact aerially, and Jesse probably moves her around and up through the middle of the ground a little bit more than what Tom would. Um, so I think they're building that chemistry, and that comes with time. Um, so um, I think they're enjoying playing together and, and you know, creating a duo that hopefully will be formidable for the years to come. Do you feel like, Simon, that you are building into being the team you want to be by the pointy end of the season? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Joe. I think, you know, yeah, that's why you look at last night in perspective. You know, we, we want to continue to improve as the year on, goes on, and that's, that's all our aim has been, is just take every week and continue to improve. And if you know as a team and a club that you're improving right towards the pointy end of the season, you know you're going to be in a position to, to have a real crack. So... Um, that's our challenge as a group to keep improving, and that's what we're really focused on on a day-to-day basis. So, how do you how do you handle the next three three or four weeks? I mean, externally anyway, people are saying you've got a, a softer draw. But uh, what's your message to your team? Oh, it's been the same message the whole time, Hutto. Is that we can't look back, we can't look too far forward. We just got to look at what's right in front of us and the opportunities that present ourselves to improve and get better. And um, I know our players were really disappointed with the actual result last night. Um, so I think they're in a, in a mindset that they want to really come out and perform strongly uh, next week especially. Thanks for joining us, Goody. Appreciate it. Best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. Simon Goodwin, the coach of the Demons. Uh, it, it, I mean, it is, it, it is an interesting question, isn't it, that build to the end of the year about trying to get the pieces and we know with Melbourne the, the, the narrative, and he used the word during the week about you know, the narrative is that we can't beat these these good teams, but there was a, there was certainly enough in there. I, I take his point very much at face value. Yeah, and, I, and you brought up something earlier, Hado, about you know 
how how would you look at it as a as a mm. as a Melbourne supporter or a Melbourne person? You can you could hear the optimism. Then one of the first words he used to describe last night was that he was delighted with so yeah, much. Yeah, it's, it's which, unusual you, to hear well, delighted. You could, but it? you could go either, and because there is that sort of is that an honourable loss? Well, I don't know, <laughs> but there is the, there is that murmuring around Melbourne of oh, you know, it was a big it was the test of the big game, and and and, and Kane even you know maybe sort of question, you know, did they fail last night? And I'm not sure whether they failed. So I think he's just trying to keep the optimism of yeah. they matched they matched the intensity of the occasion. They got beaten by a pretty good side in the end, but I think they matched that what, what, what was on offer. What did they fail then? Is it was it just the bit of forward craft or whatever or being able to last the journey? Did they is that all they really failed at? Yeah, well I just thought they struggled with Port Adelaide's numbers uh, inside their forward fifty. It was crowded in there. Hogan was ineffective and, and probably their ball use and the wasted opportunities going forward was, was what they failed at. I thought they had times where they could go really fast on the fast break and and coughed up some big opportunities there. So when I say fail, it's just fail to win. It's, yeah. um, you, you just need to, to, to find a way to win in those games and, and they've failed to do that over a long period of time but I 100% agree with, with Simon Goodwin that uh, it was a strong performance Alright this is crunch time for Honda's 7 year sale, great offers on a huge range of new models, see honda.com.au Kane Corns, Jared Waitley, Bob Murphy and Anthony Hudson, we will now play that Brendan Bolton uh, discussion with the media this morning and uh, he starts off talking about the old one Bob, the old feeling around the club this week <laughs> There was a really thorough and challenging review Yes, I needed to at times, but more importantly, the playing group did it of each other. Um, that shows that it's not me and them, it's us in it together. Um, so uh, I challenged, they challenged each other as well. Uh, we're in this together. So it was um, a strong review, a really strong review. And our focus now is all in and around pressure and also education in system. We've, we're inconsistent with our pressure at the moment. And we've got some inconsistencies with running our system. It's not just one or the other. It's both. So we had to have some education around um, when to press and when not to press um, in a defensive system. There were some failures in and around that. that that'll be learned more once it becomes more consistent and a habit. Um, and we, we're inconsistent with pressure, so we challenge that quite heavily. So four changes as a result of, uh, of the review of last week. Garlett, Kennedy, Mullet and Polson come in. Graham omitted, Pat Kerr injured, Sam Kerridge injured. And I think, worryingly, Darcy Lang omitted. He was one of their younger pickups from another club. That's been the point of much discussion about all their recycled players. Let's, let's see what he says about Mark Murphy before we get a, a quick comment from the boys. So here he Murph. is on his contract situation. Murph and his management will be in discussions with our club, so that'll work its way through. As I said, the investment he's giving now is, is a real positive sign, like, um, like Cripper. So... That'll work its way through in time, and I'm sure once it's sorted, um, Murph will come and speak to us, but uh, he's, he's strongly invested at the moment. I'm not putting pressure. They'll work that through in time. Once we know, we know. As long as Murph is giving, as I've said, that's all I care about. Is he giving to our club? And the answer is categorically yes. Is he a wanted player? Categorically yes. Um, so it'll work its, through, its, uh, its way through. I know what the free agency market's there for, and that's what it's designed to do for players to explore and... Um, but we're really hopeful and wanting that he stays. Bob, you were there watching it all unfold last week uh, with Jared and Daisy. And uh, what would Mark Murphy have been thinking watching that? Do you reckon? Well, I, ho- I hope he's thinking about how much he can help. I hope he's not thinking about, oh, you know, it's getting a bit hard. I, I want out of here. I must. I'm, I'm fascinated with the Mark Murphy situation, and I'm even fascinated fascinated with almost like the level of. 
just acceptance by by the media of oh well, you know he's he's got to explore his options and he's gone away that's to where consider we've got his to, though, future and I I'm just staggered by that I think that's a if, isn't if, that if, where if you the could play- call it a luxury I don't, I don't think that's a luxury afforded to a captain of a footy club is, is this yeah but is that an unfair lasso around him that because he's the captain he can't leave. Well, I, I didn't think, you fight for all this? Isn't what you Players Association have fought for the ability to do this? I'm all for players to be able to. But, but if you're captain, I, but I you think can't. I, I, I believe that, Hutto. Right. I believe if you're captain, no. I don't, I don't think that's a luxury for Mark Murphy, that his club is in need. And I think what, he's invested in the football club. Just sign. So Tom Lynch shouldn't leave either because he's a captain? Well, no. I, 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 I want captains to stay. I, yep. I don't think that's a luxury that a captain has. You take that responsibility on. That young, those, they're two young groups that need, they need their leaders more than ever. Sign up. That's, that's in, that's being invested. Kane? Well, I just wonder whether the club took that out of his hands though with the path that they're on and, uh, you know, letting Bryce Gibbs go, going so young effectively meant that Mark Murphy had no opportunity for some success. So, I don't, um, I don't blame him for weighing up his future and, and wanting to get to a club that is is hopefully in the window where he can play some finals footy. He may only have twelve months left in his career. They should have sat down at the start of the year and sorted this out, though, shouldn't they? This is the path we've taken. This is what it's going to mean. Do you but he want probably, to be captain? Do you want yeah, to be captain entering yeah. this season? And if you do, we're actually we need you to sign up. Mm. But I, he, I, I, he, I think this is tremendously like... awkward for Carlton. Yeah, he probably thought they'd be going a bit better than what they are, so he's probably facing the same. He's probably had the same expectations, which haven't been met, which and he's been injured again. So the year just hasn't panned out for him at all, has it? No. But just got to stay, Bob says. No changes for Hawthorne and Bob's boys, the Suns. No changes. Uh, we'll speak to uh, Bob's leader, Mark Evans, the Gold Coast CEO, when we come back on Crunch Time. For Honda's seven-year sale, great offers on a huge range of new models. See Honda.com.au. Sixteen SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 13. This is crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See Honda.com.au. Anthony Hudson and Bob Murphy in Launceston ahead of the big game as round 14 continues with Hawthorne playing the Gold Coast Suns. Jared Waitley and Kane Corns. Uh, back in Melbourne as we continue to discuss all the big issues in footy. And it's a beautiful day as uh, we already had two games with the Bombers winning by 28 and Port Adelaide by 10 last night over the Demons. It's almost Gold Coast weather, you'd say, Mark Evans, Gold Coast CEO. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. It's a Gold Coast sky. It's just a little bit cooler than Gold Coast. <laughs> but no, beautiful day here. So it uh, should be a good game of footy, hopefully. And Bob here has been one of you in what has been a, a tough year. Staunch. He's been one of your great supporters. He tipped you to make the eight. I'm not sure whether that's really helped your season or not. Oh, well, he, he was one of only one, I think, that tipped us to make the eight. <laughs> um, most people thought we might be towards the bottom reaches. But yeah, we've got a bit of work to do as a club. I probably knew that when you change a coach and bring a new footy manager, list manager, there's a lot of resetting and working on that. Um, my assessment of the season so far was a really good response at the start of the year. Uh, we've, we've failed against some of the top teams, I think, and at times where we've been a little bit um, uh, thin in terms of our own team, we, we've struggled with that. But every day you roll up to the footy, you've always a chance, and, and particularly when you see what the coaches are trying to do with the players, and you, you try and look for those moments and, and see whether we're progressing. How hard was last week then? Because there was so much that was so good for, yeah. for two and a half, three quarters, but then it was a heartbreak. Well, that's almost what I was referring to. We come off two really bad losses, 
And so the coaches and the players then work on some things that come out really well in the game. Different opponent compared to Geelong GWS. And, and some things really worked well. It was actually quite exciting. But when you've got um, uh, lots of holes in the dike, sometimes you don't have enough fingers. And, and there, are, there are different ways that you can get pulled apart in a game. We, we fell off a cliff in that last quarter. But uh, I, I came out of the game really disappointed for the manner of the loss but actually a little bit more buoyed on some of the things that they've been working on. How are you feeling from a, a public point of view? Um, Jared's mate, Tony Cochran, had an interesting <laughs> chat last week coming out. Did, did you feel that was, that was what the club needed? It needs to, and you did the same last year when we were on, on this show. You came out really strongly and you felt like your club was being bashed around a bit and needed to, needed to show some real strength of leadership. Yeah, it, it's difficult trying to understand... Uh, the Gold Coast community and the Gold Coast media and then try to put that in terms of what media you get. The strongest media you get from football is out of Victoria. And it's uh, you know, there's, lot, there's lots of ways that you can create a Victorian story out of things in the Gold Coast, you know, should we even have the Gold Coast. But when you look at the community of football in Queensland, you'd be surprised to know that it's stronger, more participants than South Australia, Tasmania and Northern Territory put together. And so when you start to question the very fabric and, and why you would have the Gold Coast, and you can see that it grew at 26% last year on the Gold Coast and has been 7 8% growth year on year for probably the last four or five and will be this year, will be next year. Then you look at that opportunity that comes with that for the AFL and the Gold Coast Suns and Brisbane Lions. Now, I've said it before, that the bit that's missing is how you really ignite that passion and rust them on out of success at the top end, and we haven't nailed that bit. Is it is it purely a results thing then? Do you think that that hasn't hasn't seen the conversion? Yeah. So you have to keep doing all of that community play and enticing people to come to the game and love the game and love the Suns as part of it. But there's a in terms of where you go to next about developing the real passion. It's because people belong and get so much enjoyment out of the game, and that's still to come in my view. Eight, eight years is not enough to do that. Might have taken Sydney 25 years to do that in Sydney. Now, we, we have to get some things right at our club. We've made some really big changes, and, and we know that the job ahead of us isn't, uh, isn't small. Do you think, Mark, the club is routinely disrespected? Yeah, I, I don't think we're respected for the work that we do, and, and in part, um, maybe people don't understand that. Um, I sometimes get disappointed that of, in people who make really strong statements about the culture of the club who haven't been within a bull's roar of it. Uh, you haven't seen the training facility, haven't seen what's happening in the community, haven't seen what happens at a game, don't even go to the game. And it's very easy to throw pot shots from uh, a couple of thousand k's away. So any time we get challenged like that, I say, if you really want to know what's going on, come and have a look at it. You'll be impressed and you'll also realise that there's uh, a lot of work still to do. When do you think there'll be that compelling evidence for those who, um, this, a group who'll never travel there, Mark, and will always look from afar, when will there be the compelling evidence that this is a strong, sustainable and ultimately successful football club? Success is going to be part of that. From If you're from afar, you will judge what you see on the TV screen and you'll judge what you see on the ladder. And when you see that, I think you'll say, oh, they've arrived. Now, how do we, how do, we do that? Like, there's so many things that go into producing a successful uh, football outfit and at the moment we've got too many gaps that we have to try and address and what people need to know whatever part of the land you're in right now I think we've now got the people where we can put together a program however long that's going to take we're going to put together a program and have a decent crack at it 
Um, and in part, one of the one of the questions I'm now asking of the of the league and of the public, if our system is about equalisation, are we convinced that the current system is going to deliver that or not? And if it's not, then let's let's evaluate and discuss that. So, do you need help? Do you need emergency help? We haven't discussed it as as such. Um, what I am talking about, though, is it's been difficult to retain players. Uh, in part, early days, it might have been facility, or uh, it might have been lure to come home, or it might have been homesickness, or it might have been whatever it is. And so we've lost some players that if you if you just inserted them into the team, you'd say that's a pretty competitive outfit right now. And we haven't done that. And what we've done over the last three or four years, though, is taken our players, a lot of them, into free agency era. And uh, over the next three or four years, we will have some challenges each year, I think, as to what our free agents decide to do. If free agents continue to go and we pick up a high draft pick, you know, picks one to six for, for a free agent, uh, that pick won't immediately be the same as the free agent you've lost. So therefore, can you get out of that cycle if that was to happen every year? Can you get out of that cycle? Or do you have to do something different in a model that might be more akin to what Sydney have done? And how do you do that? That certainly starts from a really strong culture and, and the program you put together and then build from that, I think. Has your view changed on all of that since you've got there compared to when you sat in the at, uh, at AFL House? Yeah, I'm, I'm more wise to the peculiarities of, of being outside of Victoria and in a frontier market and... Uh, you know, I've been at a club before that was at the bottom of the ladder, so I've seen some of those things. But it's a it's a different challenge if you're towards the bottom of the ladder and away from Victoria. I think there's some things there that uh, I'm a much sharper on. Are you getting closer to getting an answer from Tom? Well, we can't be getting further away, but I'm I'm not sure whether that means we're. <laughs> That's not what I asked. Yeah, you. I know, I know. I wasn't really trying to avoid it, but I was trying to say, uh, eventually, time runs out for everybody, and we'll need a decision. Um, I think. Uh, you know, I, I believe Tom Lynch, the person, he's a wonderful, wonderful person. And I know that he, he regards it as a big decision for him and wants to make sure he takes his time. Uh, we're still hopeful that it comes our way. Just being captain, we've just had a discussion before around Mark Murphy. Uh, and Bob's view is that captains shouldn't leave. Yeah. Do you share uh, that view? There's been a couple that have left in, in history, but, but generally they don't because they have such loyalty and they're pretty bought into the program. And when I say that, I'm, I'm thinking of Tom Lynch when I say all of that, the work that he does during the week with players and with coaches, I don't see a sign that means that he's made his mind to go. I see him, uh, a sign that he's still a pretty committed captain. How is the emotional state of this group, Mark? That, I mean, take the last three weeks, for example, two heavy losses, then a heartbreaker last week on the back of it. I mean, it, it must be a bruised playing group after, you know, from, from multiple... You know, difficult years. Who, who brings them together? Do you get involved with that during the week of bringing the group together? Is it is that Stewie Jew's role, or is Tom Lynch or Stephen May are they the kind of leaders that bring the club together? The short answer it needs to be everybody in part, but my part in that would be minuscule compared to people who are uh, heavily involved in football. It's very much the job of, of coach and senior leaders in the footy department and players to, to generate that. After the, the Geelong game, we had a, a ter- terrific build-up into our first game back at Metricon Stadium after being on the road for three months. And it felt almost like a cross between a, a, a final or a first game. There was a real air of expectation, and we really underperformed. And that we were really flat after that. We then went to GWS and had a, a probably a worse result. And I thought, gee, well, there's a wheel or two falling off here. 
that next week after that was terrific. Probably the best week of coaching that I've seen um, from Stuart's career so far. And the players were determined to do something about it. And you, and you saw the way they played. It actually came out. But what, what did he do to, to make you say that? Well, there's in, inside of any footy uh, week, there is you do have to address things, but then you have to somehow take people past it. You can't just dwell and be negative for seven days. And so there was a, a real reset of a harsh analysis of some things that happened that he would regard as unacceptable and hadn't been there certainly in the first five, six, seven rounds. And so he addressed those with the players, and the players owned up to a, a fair few of those. And then it was, so how do we now go about it? How are we going to train for this, and what are we going to demand of each other coming into the game? And that, and it happened. It looked really good. But then you get through that game, you've now got a whole more series of things that would have come up on video and seen live that you're now trying to address with the group. Um, it's hard for a coach, because if you do have a lot of things you're trying to do, which ones do you focus on to make the most meaning for what happens this week against Hawthorne. Um, just before we finish, uh, has um, has Tom been looking at real estate in Sorrento or not? Uh, no, no, he's been looking at uh, some good real estate on Mermaid Beach and <laughs> welcome to move in with me as well. Kane, you've got one more? Yeah, I do. Uh, Mark, just wondering whether in your mind it was irresponsible to give pick two in exchange for, for Lockie Weller and in hindsight, would you have done it and would you do it again? Oh, don't, don't ever say irresponsible. Um, you have to go through uh, the strategy that was put forward at the time and how many young players that we'd already had uh, two years ago in a draft and, and how many picks we'll have next year, in, or this year rather, in the draft. So it was a, a three-year look at it. And whether it's right or wrong, because it feels like it's a little bit of overs, but whether it's right or wrong in the long term, you can only judge in the long term. I, mm. uh, I don't like the, the word irresponsible. I don't was it de- right. a bit desperate? No, no, it wasn't desperate, but there was a, a decision that needed to be made and it was thrown back uh, to people who actually understand the talent uh, far better than I ever should and to say, you've got to make a call here, the player's available, you could do it now, you could have a go in another year if you wanted to, uh, if he was still there and still available, uh, but really only you guys can assess what the talent is and, and that's where it happened. Uh, one more frivolous question. Was Clarko playing the guitar at Hawthorne before you left? <laughs> Clarko was learning the guitar. Um, he was terrible. And uh, I think he's improved upon that slightly. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Good luck today. It's uh, going to be a tough one against the, uh, your old mob, the Hawks. <laughs> See you later. SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Hungary's seven-year sale ends June 30. Yes, it is crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale and those great offers on a huge range of new models. So you can find out more by going to honda.com.au. Bob Murphy and Anthony Hudson in Launceston ahead of the big game today between the Hawks and, well, the relatively big game between the Hawks and the Gold Coast. <laughs> Big-ish. Kane Corns and Jared Waitley also with us as we continue through the crunch. Don't worry, Bob, we're coming for you. There's a newspaper lift out that I've got sitting in front of me that everyone's talking about. But you think I'm going to be sheepish? I brought, I'd left the paper there strategically. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, if Hawthorne did another Lewis slash Mitchell slash Hodge to Sean Burgoyne, A, is that possible that they would do that at the end of the year? And B, would another club be... Uh, they move, would they move him on? Well, if Clarko's shown, he's brutal. Gee whiz. I don't, no, I don't, I don't get the sense of that, no. No. I didn't think you would. No. 
<laughs> no one's allowed to leave. I don't. You're right. not allowed to leave this commentary <laughs> box. What do you think, Kane? I wouldn't be shocked, but I, I, it feels like he will he will play on. And and you wouldn't, wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. I'm if it shocked happened. that well, you're not shocked. Well, if you can move on, who I think is probably in Hawthorne's top three all time, Sam Mitchell. Um, you can move on Sean Burgoyne, and there would be you know there'd be a Carlton or a or a Gold Coast or a, you know a Brisbane that would go after Sean and have him for a year and transition him into coaching. But it feels like I think Clarko the relationship there and, and he plays a different role to his versatility yeah, helps. Correct. That's, that's it. Yeah. And he's still got speed and he's still got big game breaking ability. So I think his attributes will will see that he stays there. What was Thursday night? Was that no Kennedy, no Darling, and thus the structural strength with had which had. The Eagles running the first half of the season from the top of the ladder, does that leave them hugely vulnerable? It does until they can get both of them back. Yes, that, that's all I think it was. Because when you put in McGuinness and, and Lysette, who has to play that dominant role, clearly that drops away and, and their depth was exposed. And, um, you know, you can probably excuse that performance, but it was it was an insipid performance and I uh, didn't see it coming off the bye. So excuse this one, but uh, next week's massive. They, they go to Adelaide to play Adelaide, who will be very, very keen. Essendon play six top ten sides in the run home. Could they make the eight or will they just shape the eight, Bob? Uh, they, they may make it. Well, I don't, I so don't, you think they could get a uh, run? They, they could. I, I'm, I'm not convinced that they're of that quality yet, though. I, I don't think they're in that echelon. They, they may get there, but no, I don't, I don't think they'll... Did they surprise you it. on Thursday night with how uh, well they played? Or was it just more of the same? The runoff halfbacks. So when it's great, it's great. Their goodies, like when they when they get their tail up, they can really they can dominate. But can they slut, can they go toe to toe with the big boys? I don't think so. So they have to win seven out of nine to get to their thirteen. That that's I don't think that's terribly likely. Nope. I, I you know yeah I'm sort of a bit the same as when they play like that. We know that they've got the other in them as well. I. I thought it said much more about West Coast. It was unreasonable to think that without their full forward and their centre-half forward that things weren't going to be different. What does it do to their next month while they wait to get them back? Um, the rising star order. So this gets more interesting by the week with what Ollie Florent has been able to do. So there's Alex Witherden and Jaden Stevenson, Ed Richards, Ollie Florent, Adam Chera, uh, and this sheet doesn't have uh, Tom Duday who's around it as well. Has this suddenly opened right up? Oh, it's open. Uh, Stevenson, for me, because of what he's done and the role that he's playing in Collingwood, his numbers might be the equivalent of, of some others, like Florin and probably Duda across half-back, but for his importance to his team and the influence he's had in his first year, he's been the absolute standout for me. Oh, I, I think Stevenson's the best player, but I, I'm probably not across who's had... You know who will have the best year of those. You know other guys might have bigger numbers, and we've seen over the years how. Well, there's always a bit of a debate, isn't it, about yeah, what the rising is it the star best, should is it the be? best year or who is going to who be the best player? Be. Well, I, I mean, I, from afar, I, so I I look at Stevenson and just, he's one of those players that makes you go, ooh. Who, who would you put on top, Jared? Uh, Stevenson for the time being. I think the number of goals that he's kicked, the fact that he's been the one out full forward. Uh, I think he's so Duday's carried a lot of responsibility down back, but I think Stevenson. Uh, has been extraordinary for a first-year player. But equally, I do think teams will put more time into him in the back half of the season now that he's revealed himself to be a weapon. So uh, I think this remains open. And Cam Rayner will make a run at this at some stage mm. as well if Brisbane improve the way they might do in the back part of the season. As an adjunct to that, if Tim Kelly was eligible, would he win it? 
Um, he would have been leading that handsomely after six or seven weeks. He's probably back to a level of a first-year player, isn't he? So he was yeah. pretty good last week at yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he would be... Yeah, he'd probably be at, at in the one mix. at the moment. No, he's probably better than in the mix. You're right. Back to the Blues. Should Carlton consider splitting pick one or off, offloading a player and then getting a, a pick back for it at, at the same time if they get pick one? or two for that matter. Or do they just take the absolute best player available in what's going to be a talented stock draft, or they kind of do try and play a bit of funny buggers to try and get more talent into the club? Uh, well, only from what I hear that, that this draft is so so highly regarded that I'm not sure I would give away pick one. Maybe the other guys have got some differing views, but I think that's a... That's a Kane, what if they could get in at what if they could get in at say six or get, split one, get a player, mm. and get pick six or seven? That's a yes for me. Uh, it appears I don't know the, the ins and outs of the draft, but it appears to be pretty even in the top ten. So yep. if you get two top ten picks for one, you trade one of them out to get an experienced player in. Plus, you get a top ten pick also. Then I, I would do that for sure. Depends whether they want and need loquacious, doesn't it? Correct. So they've got Charlie Kerno. And they've got the idea of Harry Mackay. Yep. Hmm. Don't know. So Kerno's there. So Loquacious has been spoken about as a generational forward. He's been compared to Nick Rewalt. And we think Charlie Kerno's a generational forward. Yeah. It's, and But then there's the King twins as well, who Matthew Lloyd raves about at 200 centimetre key forward. So if you can get one of those at pick five or six and still get a player in... Yeah, it's. Uh, I think one of them will go in the top two. Still, the the injured one will still go in the top two from okay. all reports. But the other one might be a bit lower. So yeah, mm. these these king the king twins. The it's king, a river, isn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> all right. So we buried the leaders. We did. Bob, is how high does it sit in your level of achievements throughout your years to be the front of the weekend lift out of the Herald Sun with a double page <laughs> spread inside? Um. It's up there with the Rising Star nomination I received in 2001, the ANSET Rising Star nomination, <laughs> Jared. It's all about the ratings, Jared. Uh, are you happy with the look, Bob? You're happy with the sort of, you've gone for a, you'd say a, sort of a sultry sort of I'd look? I'd say, thing. yeah, sort of more understated cool would be the, how my, well, how would you sum it up? What? So this is old favourite, <laughs> isn't it? Denim with the lambskin lining. <laughs> so you don't have to meet you too many times, Bob, to see that. That's so well, authentic. I, well, my style, I just wear what the stylist, what my personal stylist tells me. That's all I can. I, I had a battle to steal it from the commentary team because Jason Dunstall's crossword is, is on the back. So he actually made Nick Revolt use a ruler and just rip the bit out around so don't, I could bring it here don't in the commentary Don't scrunch box. it, Anthony, because that's being framed up after this. Have, no, you, re- have you read it? No, 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 no. Yeah. Will you read it? Of course. All oh, right. No, okay. no, no. Just nah, that's it. not for me. That's not. That's that's for that's for that's for people like you, Anthony, who need to watch the show. Tune in. Yeah. No. No. I loved your first show. Yeah. It was great. I'm Rob's heading for kids netball, and that's got my next hour written all over it. Just sitting in the car. <laughs> Rob Sitz was particularly good, and oh, you were thank, excellent as well. Oh, thank you, Anthony. Uh, we'll ask a question for you. Why was Greg Norman wearing a glove? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where did we save that one to last? That's easily the best question. What I thought that was archive photo. What is he thinking, Greg? You have oh, unpicked boy. the whole thing though with the question. Why was he wearing? <laughs> Why the glove? is he wearing the glove? How much grip did he need on the glove? Oh, Bob. 
All right, that's it for crunch time. There's plenty of footy coming your way. The first match, of course, is between Hawthorne and the Gold Coast. Great to be with you. Thank you, Kane. Thanks, Enjoy the guys. afternoon. Have a great and one. Jared and uh, Bob, have a great day here at the footy. Crunch time for Holton's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.